From the McGrath Institute for Church Life and OSV Podcast, this is Church Life Today. I'm Leonard DiLorenzo. Once when my eldest son was about five years old, we happened to be reading the first chapter of Mark's Gospel when we came upon the account of a man with an unclean spirit. My son asked me what that meant. I didn't know how to answer, so I said, well, what do you think? He didn't know, so we read it again. My son noticed that the unclean spirit did not want to be near Jesus, and he knew that Jesus was God with us. I asked my son, well, what do you think an unclean spirit is now? And he replied, I guess it is wanting to live in the world without God. My guest today on the show is not a five-year-old child, but rather Gary Anderson, the Hesburgh Professor of Catholic Thought in the Department of Theology at the University of Notre Dame. We are going to talk about his read of the show Breaking Bad and its central character, Walter White, whom Professor Anderson sees as a profile in the determined resolution to live in the world without God. But unlike the unclean spirit in Mark's gospel, Walter White does not even acknowledge God or recognize the possibility of his presence. For him, there is nothing but chemistry here. My conversation with Professor Anderson follows a lecture that he delivered for a conference on the show's Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul, hosted at Notre Dame in May of 2023. His own lecture at the conference bore the title Science and Marriage in the Life of Walter White. Gary, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. So I'm going to say something that might sound strange. Breaking Bad is a love story. Actually, I think I kind of got that idea from you. It's a drama about who or what to ultimately love. There's, I think for those who have watched the show, you could see there is love of family, there's love of money, there's love of power, there's love of science. But one of the ways that you've proposed that we look at the main character, Walter White, who's at the center of it all, is to see him as making a final option about what he most deeply loves. So I wanted to start there. In your viewing of this show, what does Walter White ultimately choose as his deepest love? How does he get there? That's a great question. I think one of the most profound aspects of the show that I learned from Francesca Murphy, actually, is the way in which the characters develop over the five scenes. And many TV series, the characters, a lot of things happen in terms of the plot, but the actual character of the characters is the same from beginning to end. Hmm. They don't learn anything uh, about the impact of their choices on their lives. But in Breaking Bad, I think, is a really profound exploration of... Um, what is frequently referred to as virtue ethics in the field of theology. That is, uh, virtue is expressed in our actions, our actions express our values, but our actions also form who we are. We often think that we have a kind of solid, unchangeable inner self that expresses mm -hmm. itself necessarily in specific actions, but we can make those arrows point the other way. The actions that we engage in will shape what becomes of our inner self. And I think you'd see that, how, you know, illustrated beautifully uh, in Breaking Bad. And uh, the theme of, you know, Walter's love, I guess, 
uh, evolved slowly over the show, but where it crystallized for me were the very last two episodes, um, the crucial role played by the song Felina, for example, which is about a shootout in the West. Uh, it's about a love affair gone wrong, but it's quite clear as you watch the episode, uh, it's not a woman that's at play here for Walt in uh, the way in which he enacts the mm-hmm. lyrics of Felina, but it's his love for uh, the chemistry uh, of the drug trade. He's not so much interested in drugs by the end by any means or uh, necessarily in the money you can make from drugs, but he's very interested in uh, the love of um, the chemistry and his expertise at chemistry. And uh, that's also illustrated in the very last scene of the whole show in which he chooses to die. And it is a choice. He walks specifically after being mortally wounded uh, to the lab where you watch him literally caress the chemistry equipment Hmm. while this song by Badfinger is playing in the background. Uh, And the lyrics, of course, are crucial because they speak to uh, not his love for a woman, which is the bad finger (laughs) point, but rather uh, his love for chemistry. And it's really quite, you know, appalling (laughs) in a way uh, to see a man, you know, so beholden to uh, a lesser good. And um, he confesses, of course, as much to his wife, uh, Skylar, just before uh, that scene in which he dies. Mm. You know, as as you're bringing that up, I I recall from the show how often Walter speaks of the methamphetamine as the product. Um, He continually talks about my product, our product, the product that he's putting out there. There's an incredible amount of pride tied up in the product Mm -hmm. and also his obsession and everybody else's obsession with the purity of his product, which no one else can match. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, hearing you talk about this, I think about the way in which that purity, his technique, there's almost a magic to him that he can create this that others cannot even come close to it. Jesse's the one who comes closest to the the purity level of Walter's meth, but following Walter's uh, steps and never actually gets to the 99.1%. So maybe if we if we can muse on that for a moment, like the way in which, as you're pointing out, he he chooses and opts for the love of the science and of his ability and the product that he makes. Um, can we speak about this, the way in which that sort of regard for purity or for what he alone is able to create? Um, that's a, gr- that's a great point. I think uh, to me, one of the key seasons, probably the key season in the whole show is season three, because uh, that's the point at which Walt is seriously considering getting out of the business. And mm. so over the course of that season, um, Vince Gilligan, the producer of the show, uh, uses several episodes to kind of plumb what truly is the motivation of Walt, what's going to get him back, as it were, in the drug industry. And I think it's important to say maybe from the get-go, even at the end of the season three, it's not clear exactly what the one you know, um, smoking gun right. is that drives him back because over the course of season three, he denies all of the factors. But I think his denials aren't quite denials because obviously he gets back in the business Uh, But one element that's played up here uh, is his love of chemistry. When he sees the lab uh, that's going to be provided for him, he just looks like a five-year-old being presented (laughs) with the ultimate Christmas. You know, Santa's (laughs) giving him everything he wants. I mean, it's it's really astonishing to see his uh, jaw drop. 
Um, he then says, well, you can't, you know, uh, uh, you, you can't whatever um, tempt me with this. I've made my decision, my family's first. But uh, in fact, we know he has been tempted. He's been deeply tempted. And he takes great, you know, umbrage or anger when uh, he's told that um, others can make a product, including Jesse, you know, near to his specifications. And for him, this is also an affront. Oh, it is. To his ability, but also to the purity of the chemistry, which is really quite amazing to listen to him say that. Again, he denies this is going to get him back in the business, but I think it's part of the burden of season three to see all of these pieces as being actually part of the puzzle that brings him back on board. And then one of my favorite lines on this subject is in season three, there's an episode, a very curious episode. I read the backstory on it. Evidently, they didn't have uh, enough money uh, in the bank, that is the producers, to go out into Albuquerque and do what they wished. So they filmed a whole uh, episode in the lab where Walt was chasing a fly. Right. Uh, which is, but it's a very curious exploration then of a number of Walt's, you know, uh, viewpoints. And, uh, but one of the things that comes out in that essay, very much to your point, is his, you know, concern about the fly and what it will do to the purity. And Jesse looks at him and he says, Walt, he says, Well, Mr. White, we're making poison here. <laughs> like, what? Yeah. Purity and poison. Somehow right, there's, there's something wrong here. But it reminds me, actually, and I, um, I think this is worth attending to, um, uh, Pope Benedict in his, you know, uh, well-admired essays on Genesis 1 to 3. They're actually homilies. Mm. Uh, talks at one point about... Um, uh, the love both in art and science for simply what one can do rather than to what end is uh, uh, this knowledge being put. And one of his examples is of Oppenheimer and the American scientists who developed the atomic bomb. They were in love with the science of uh, splitting an atom, uh, but its consequences, you know, was not something that they attended to mm. uh, with uh, due rigor. It was simply the science itself and what could they do uh, without thought to the impact. One of my favorite writers, Walker Percy, has often mentioned uh, that as well, um, the kind of blindness in, in this regard to science. It's extraordinary capabilities, but frequently it's blindness as to, you know, what you know, these scientific capabilities that are being developed or abilities can in the end do. Mm. And I certainly see that with Walt is, you know, uh, just being consumed with the quality of the product uh, with no real cognizance of what the product really does. Uh Uh, It's quite amazing. You know, that episode that you bring up, uh, the episode with the fly and my first viewing of the show, I've now had to watch it a a couple of times. Um, I, I just didn't like that. I thought ep- that episode didn't fit. It, it was kind of bored me. And then when I went back to it, I think it was actually on your your insights about it uh, from your lecture. I just saw how profound that episode really was. Certainly, it had to do with purity, which I saw there in the first time. But there's this, the conversation towards the end of the episode between Walt and Jesse. Walt is looking back at his opportunities missed right. in the recent past right because now things have got started to get a bit out of control for him and he's it's almost almost like he doesn't get there it's almost like he recognized the hand of providence and he had turned it away he would never use that kind of language but 
He says, you know, there was a moment to get out. I saw it. It was the perfect moment. Actually, and no, he doesn't it. use the word providence. He does But I no. think he, but I, th- I think it's stronger than what you've just indicated. He does everything but because what he says um, is that he can't believe it's impossible almost to believe this wasn't orchestrated yes, yes, from it, above. I mean, he doesn't use uh, providence, but that's there. But he says it can't have happened that way because the world is just randomly colliding atoms. Mm. So there can be no purpose. So that is a really mm. crucial piece to, again, his kind of nihilism, his uh, materialistic nihilism, which again is a big theme for Vince Gilligan. I mean, he's not a preacher by any means uh, in Breaking Bad, and he confesses that he's also, you know, apostatized, as it were, from the (laughs) Catholic upbringing he had. But um, he also is very quick to point out that, you know, the problem of a world without God is something that he is, I don't want to say obsessed with, but certainly concerned about. Mm. What is it that will keep the world on, you know, the, the train tracks of, you know, moral and virtuous behavior uh, if there is no God. And I think in this episode, he definitely puts that worry of his front and center because yeah. Walt clearly in meeting the father of that, you know, young girl, he has, you know, he hasn't murdered, but, you know, all in but, a sense, yeah, all but he murdered did by, omission. by not saving her. Um, that, as it were, was that kind of fork in the woods mm. in which he could have turned. And uh, it does seem to be providentially ordered, but Walt rejects any kind of providential notion there, specifically on the grounds uh, that the world is simply a set of material, uh, you know, randomly colliding atoms. And so that event for him can have no more significance in his life than, you know, the Cheerios he ate for breakfast. Uh, that's a deep metaphysical commitment. Yeah. And you can see, in a sense, he's kind of a fundamental, fundamentalistically committed here <laughs> to this point because he's simply, he he realizes the kind of, uh, uh, the opportune uh, opportunity that was knocking at his door there, but he refuses to allow it, you know, even, uh, you know, the possibility to poke its head through the door. Yeah. And as you brought to the attention of the people at the conference, you, you showed this uh, from an early episode of season one, a sort of flashback that Walt has while cleaning up the human remains of their first victim, right. um, where he's in graduate school and his girlfriend is there with him and they're trying to sort of write out the uh, chemical composition of the human body. And they can't, right. he can't quite get it all the way to hundred percent. He's missing something, missing something. And she says, well, what about the soul? And his response, as you showed us and reminded us is there's nothing but chemistry here. Right. Can you speak on that a little bit, the way in which that, what he remembers from back there and clearly he's here working with human remains, um, how that meaning has just expanded throughout the show. Cause it's there at the beginning, but it gets bigger and bigger for him. It's a, it's a great scene and it's a very complex one too, because um, it's very hard to sort out what you as the viewer um, are taking away from this scene and learning uh, that is the narrator's voice as opposed to what the character in this case, Walt, what kind of connections is he actually making? Um, and that's one of the beauties of the show, mm-hmm. the kind of ambiguity here, the unresolvable ambiguity. So I think from the perspective of the viewer and from the perspective of, perspective of the author, Vince Gilligan, uh, this is a kind of damning indictment of Walt's materialism. You know, from Walt's own perspective, I think, you know, that is on the periphery, but 
whether he's you know explicitly conscious of it, I guess I would doubt, but I couldn't mm. prove that. But what happens in this scene, it's really quite extraordinary, and I've used it frequently uh, in the classroom, is that Walt is cleaning up the remains of a human body, uh, clearly you know disgusted in every sense of the word uh, by the task you know that's set before him. Yet, you know, we clearly have these flashbacks, which are his memory. That's how it's set up. It's not these flashbacks are what he's thinking of yeah. as he's cleaning up the remains of this conversation in graduate school where he and a former lover are uh, put, he's putting on the board the numbers, uh, percentages of the chemicals that make up a human body. And what's so incredible about the scene, as you've already highlighted, is that, you know, it's all about the chemistry, the chemistry of the human person. And when they come just a few percentage points short of 100%, his girlfriend says, well, maybe we left out the soul. <laughs> and uh, Walt says, we're only talking about chemistry here. And of course, set over against what you're watching him doing in the present, um, you can't but think that, you know, his whole visceral disgust mm. at cleaning up the chemical remains of a person doesn't accord with the notion that it's just chemistry. Yeah. If it was just chemistry, it would be like cleaning up an accident in yeah. a chemistry lab, right? That's clearly what you're supposed to think. And at some level, I think Walt is conscious of this. Um, but I also must say I was kind of disappointed in part uh, by the way that scene unfolded, at least initially, because I wanted to use it in class. And the way it ends is Walt, of course, saying to Gretchen, we're only talking about chemistry here. But then we have this incredible dubre entendre because he's basically leaning over her chair at that point, you know, almost kissing her. Yeah. And it changes, of course, the focus of the, the scene from chemistry to their uh, love affair. Uh, so that bothered me because it wasn't then, you know, as useful <laughs> for what I wanted to do pedagogically. Uh, but um, it's also a brilliant scene. Again, I don't know if it was intended because it certainly points to where Walt will be at the end of season five. That mm -hmm. is uh, the chemistry here, uh, which is expressed as or the double entendre here is the love for Gretchen. But by the end of the show, we realize the love is really for the chemistry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it's one of those, it's another reason why I like Breaking Bad is that you can go back and rewatch it and see so much more uh, because these scenes have, you know, layers of meaning that require watching the whole thing uh, to really properly assess. I mm. think that's one of its, its beauties. Uh, there's a lot of television shows, series that I've deeply enjoyed, but you know, watching them a second time wouldn't be, I mean, it might be fun once you've forgotten what's happened, but it wouldn't be to the purpose of seeing more. Mm. This is Leonard DiLorenzo. You're listening to Church Life Today. I'm talking with Gary Anderson, Hesburgh Professor of Catholic Thought in the Department of Theology at Notre Dame. We're talking about chemistry and marriage served alongside a discussion about the metaphysics of money in the show Breaking Bad especially in relation to a lecture that Professor Anderson gave at a recent conference on the show. Gary, I want to talk about money now, if we can. The metaphysics of money, perhaps the power of money, the allure of money. So Walt got in, Walter White got into the meth business because he needed money and a lot of money and really, really fast. And he saw the opportunity here uh, to apply his skill to make money in a very, very expedient way. As he goes along, he gains a lot of money. He loses a lot of money. He gains a lot of money. He loses it again. He has to keep going back to make more and more money. 
But there's a change that happens where at some point money isn't just the means for him, but it becomes for him something more. Like it, ha- it seems to change in its as a character almost. Like it develops as a character with, with power over him. I'm wondering how you have seen money in the show. Is there some way in which it changes? Is there some way in which it almost uh, exerts some kind of agency of its own? I think very much so. I mean, one of the things I've you know uh, wanted to do, to do or intended to do for some time is to collect all the scenes in the show, and actually, Better Call Saul as well, because it also is very interested in this theme of. Um, how especially bags, duffel bags of money mm-hmm. function within the scenes that they're placed. They're never just, you know, kind of, it's never inert paper, yeah. but the way in which the bag is open, the characters react, et cetera, et cetera, is really uh, quite amazing. I might just say with respect to Walt, well, I mean, money, of course, initially for him is an attraction but, you know, really for instrumental purposes, he's a man who wants money for his family, which, of course, is a noble thing. Now, how he's going to get that money is problematic, but he has a, he has a noble desire. And actually, throughout the show, Walt, you know, his love for money, though, we can certainly see it there. It's not, I think, as perhaps corrupting as it is for other mm. characters. Uh, there are other factors that corrupt Walt more deeply. But it still is corrupting. And um, one of the, th- I guess I, I could go a number of directions here, but let's just start with one scene um, in which Walt clearly wants to use the money as a temptress, we might want to say, for uh, his wife. The scene begins with Walt is in the home. He's returned against his wife's better wishes. He's in the process of trying to divorce him. She's in the bedroom waiting for Walt to leave for his day's work so she can go to her work with uh, her newborn baby. Um, She hears what she thinks is a door closed, so she believes that uh, Walt has safely left the house and she can now leave on her own, but uh, nothing of the sort has happened. Walt has orchestrated this scene in which he's taken a big duffel bag full of money, I think three quarters of a million dollars, and very heavy. That's, mm-hmm. you know, the, the kind of material element of money is very much on view in this show, but he has it opened, as it were, uh, almost erotically so, so you can peer in and see what, you know, is behind the veil, as it were. And he has it set in the middle of the hall, so Skylar can't avoid it as she comes towards the door. And as she's walking, you know, to leave, she stops abruptly and sees the bag of money and the camera Uh, then works from her perspective looking at the money, and we begin to hear Walt speak. And it's an incredible way to begin the scene because it's as though the bag of money is talking. And uh, that's actually what will happen as Walt's speech then unfolds. What he wants Schuyler to see is how much money he has amassed and what this money could mean for her once he has uh, passed away due to his uh, lung cancer. So He basically itemizes all of the things that this money can do for her, Um, pay the mortgage, you know, buy her groceries, insure the home, send the kids to college, you know, et cetera, et cetera. It's uh, kind of like a a dream come true in terms of her provisionment once he's gone. Um, The whole time, you know, Skylar looks askance at the bag and at Walt. And again, the filming of the scene is incredible because the money is set in between the two of them, and you're looking down the hallway to the bedroom, of course, the place of their 
uh, you know, they're uh, enjoying the marital sacrament, but now, as it were, money is blocking the, yes. that that access and replacing, in a sense, we might want to say here. So we're only, it's only chemistry here is being played out in a new way. <laughs> Walt thinks that somehow this, this money can, you know, fill the void that he's uh, created by means of um, the damage he's done to the marriage. But uh, as that scene unfolds, uh, Walt realizes he hasn't convinced her in this moment, but he's hoping, of course, the aura of the bag of money, the money is somehow going to persuade her. Um, In that episode, of course, it produces just the exact opposite. That very afternoon, she goes out and has an affair uh, with her boss uh, uh, for whom she's working as an accountant. And when she comes home, uh, Walt's expecting her answer. Well, he does get her answer. Her answer, I won't use the language Great. here on the podcast, but um, is very graphic. And, I cheated uh, on you with yeah, Ted. Because, yeah, and cheated right. on you is not quite what she said. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and of course, you know, Walt is, you know, dumbfounded by the answer. But you might think from watching that, that, you know, Skylar then is untemptable. But a couple of scenes later, um, she's in the bedroom of her baby daughter, uh, where that big bag of money, you know, has come to rest on an upper shelf. And you can see her, she's doing laundry. She puts her laundry basket down and looks up into the closet. And uh, she's clearly, her eyes are caught, kind of like Eve in the garden by the fruit. And mm. she can't take her eyes off of it. Uh, she grabs that bag, which is too heavy for her to manage. And so, you know, again, the filming is incredible. It just drops like a ton of bricks on the floor. Um, she opens it up. Um, uh, again, she knows what's in it. Uh, but there we can see her pick the money. Now, she doesn't pick up the money in a kind of caressing, fondling way. She's, you know, in, in a sense indifferent to it, but we can see not sufficiently indifferent. Um, and uh, actually, by the end of that, you know, series, that season three, uh, she will have succumbed to the Maybe not so much the temptation or power of money, but its utility, kind of like Walt, because she wants to um, provide, you know, medical care for her brother-in-law, mm. who um, uh, has, you know, medical needs that exceed what he can pay through insurance. So, in a sense, the fall, if I can use that theological term for Schuyler, is very similar to the fall of Walt. In other words, the money now becomes a instrumental object serving a greater good, but the means by which it's been procured in both cases is not, you know, sufficiently um, uh, attended to. So that will be, of course, for Schuyler, a tragic decision she makes um, and similar to Walt's. If I went back um, to another scene that actually illustrates the power of money with respect to Walt, um, this is at the beginning of season three, episode one. I've frequently use this in class as an illustration of uh, the story in the Gospels about the rich young man, rich young ruler, it's told many ways, who approaches Jesus wanting to know, how can I attain eternal life? Jesus says, keep the commandments. Mm -hmm. The rich young man says, I've done that. And Jesus says, well, you lack one thing, give your money to the poor and come and follow me. And of course, the rich young man is not able to do such because the power of money is such that he can't give it away. Well, we see Walt at the very opening episode of um, season three uh, there uh, gathering his money together because he realizes, you know, uh, a terribly tragic plane crash has been the result of, you know, 
his career decision. So he wants to, as it were, um, make, he wants to con- be converted and yeah. to leave all of this business. So he piles all of his money onto a Weber grill. His Weber grill, right. Yep. Pours lighter fluid on it, <laughs> lights it, and stands back. And as he watches it start to burn, we can see he reconsiders completely his decision, <laughs> tries to put it out. His bathrobe, you know, catches fire for a moment. So he takes the Weber grill and throws it in the pool. And uh, there he is back with his money. Um, and what, that's what I try to illustrate there. So he's like the rich young man, but I also like to compare this to uh, the calling of St. Matthew in Caravaggio's famous painting, mm. um, because we see in that scene, uh, Matthew doing what Walt can't do. He's there port painted by Caravaggio, collect, you know, counting his money with his um, tax collector friends. Only Matthew has looked up from the money to see Jesus. The t- other two tax collectors are consumed by the power of the coinage in front of them. But um, I always ask my students as we watch this, well, what distinguishes Matthew from Walter White? Is, Ma- is Matthew a more virtuous man than Walter White? Is that the answer here? Um, to which I hope the answer is no. Uh, the difference, I think, in the two scenes is that Jesus is calling uh, St. Matthew and the way Caravaggio paints that scene. Jesus's hand is painted in uh, imitation of God the Father's hand in animating Adam in the Sistine ceiling. So Jesus is, you know, uh, re-quickening, we might want to say, reanimating in its etymological sense, uh, the person of Matthew that allows him then to perform this meritorious and virtuous act. It's not Matthew on his own saving himself. Uh, presumably for Caravaggio, that would not have been possible. Uh, but we see that nicely illustrated, I think, then in Breaking Bad. Walt can't save himself. He knows what he wants to, he knows what he needs to do. He has a want to do that, but he can't do it uh, on his own. Um, and uh, it's very sad. Oh, there's another scene, I think, with money that I often compare to this as well, where Jesse, who in a lot of ways is far more moral uh, mm. than Walt, he's a problematic character to be sure, but I think his overall moral compass is a, a compass I'm much more comfortable with than, yes. than Walt's. But um, at one point, you know, he's disgusted with the money as well, you know, in terms of what he has to do to earn it and realizes the moral cost. So he takes the money and he's like a newspaper deliverer yes. early in the morning, throwing it on stoops. But what's the difference here? Again, I think thinking of the rich young man, I think the problem for Jesse there, now he actually can get rid of the money in a way in which Walt can't. Uh, but for him, it's not giving the way it's not giving the money to anyone who would benefit from it. It's just simply getting rid of it. So, again, if we were to cast this against the world of the Gospels, um, it's not the point that you just give up money, uh, but that you put money in service uh, of uh, those who have none, the poor and the suffering. Uh, so Jesse, though, you know, clearly at a higher order than that of Walt. Uh, and getting rid of the money is a good thing. But the way in which he does it, of course, is not a way that's going to ultimately lead to uh, salvation, you know, mm. sadly for him. But this also illustrates another point of the show, which many people have uh, also observed, that there is no uh, there is no reference in the show to religion in any way, shape, or form. The closest you get are the therapy groups 
uh, which take place in a church, certainly yeah. not accidentally, yeah, yeah, yeah. because the therapy sessions are imagined as the replacement for uh, religious belief, and they certainly serve an important function both in the show and in cultural in general, uh, but they can't totally replace uh, what religion has on offer. And I think that Gilligan is also uh, very sensitive to that element. And uh, again, Sota Voce uh, makes that point uh, in the show as well. Mm. This is Leonard DiLorenzo. You're listening to Church Life Today. My guest is Gary Anderson, Hesburgh Professor of Catholic Thought at the University of Notre Dame. We're talking mostly about the show Breaking Bad, the themes of chemistry of science, of marriage, of money, based mostly on a lecture that Professor Anderson gave on a conference on Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. So we talked a little bit about marriage here as you were uh, discussing money and the impact of money, especially the temptation of money to Skylar, Walter's mm-hmm. wife. Maybe if we can focus on that here towards the end, the the way in which marriage itself is corrupted, part of it's by the allure of money, but in a larger way by the choices of Walt, whose bad decisions and actions now have this outwardly corrosive effect on all around him. Skylar, the the change in her from season one to season five is remarkable, maybe even more remarkable than the change in Walter, because you sort of get the feeling with him, it's the unveiling of a, of a character, mm-hmm. whereas with her, it's really the change of character. And as you pointed out, uh, with this temptation of money that Walter puts out before her, she uh, comes to see the utility of this money and is is tempted of it, uh, by it. She eventually becomes the manager of this money. She's the one that's in charge of the money money laundering operation for Walter and right. their family. Her deception, she he is the great deceiver in the show, but she learns to deceive as well and and actually performs a fairly remarkable act of deception on her own sister and brother, eventually right. brother-in-law. Um, by the end in season five, and we were talking about this right before we started recording, um, she is even now, it seems, capable of murder. She she uh, is trying to convince Walter to murder Jesse. Uh, and as, I think as she says, what's one more at mm-hmm. this point with all you've done? And it all seems to come, you, you pointed out, maybe there's a connection with her and Eve earlier when she's seeing the money up above, the temptation, it all comes through this bond of marriage, what the bond of marriage communicates. It could communicate blessing. Here it communicates the curse from Walter to her. Can we talk about this, the bond of marriage and the way in which perhaps you've seen it as the conduit of these corrosive effects of deception, of lust, of power? Yes, I I think it's important. It's important to see the parallels to uh, between Schuyler's fall, as it were, to uh, Walt's fall. But I think you also highlighted a very important point that should, um, you know, temper the how strongly we draw that parallel. Uh, Schuyler only falls because Walt, as it were, has made that completely possible. So mm. Walt is clearly uh, the, the the person who bears primary guilt here. Uh, if Walt wasn't so morally compromised, uh, Schuyler presumably uh, could have um, lived a uh, much more happy life. On the other hand, it is true. She doesn't have a moral center. And, and this is part, I think, of, of Gilligan's, you know, uh, uh, the larger fish he wants to fry without a belief in God, without a notion that there are uh, moral standards that are unalterable. Um, you know, what happens uh, if uh, instrumental goods define the possible, 
then the choices that Schuyler makes are, you know, rational in their own way. I think that's one of the things that Gilligan wants to say. But again, important to emphasize that, you know, Schuyler's fall is of a far less culpable nature than that of uh, Waltz. But I think to me, going back maybe how we began this podcast, again, this has to do with the change in Walt as well. He begins uh, his road to uh, becoming a king of methamphetamine hmm. for the purposes of, uh, re, you know, um, providing for his wife and um, children uh, when he passes. And even in season, season three, when he has these deep, deep doubts as to whether he ought to go on and actually at a couple of points makes a decision not to, uh, that the reason that he returns to time and again is that he's destroying his family. He can't destroy his family. He says this, you know, time and again. So even in season three, it's valuable. Uh, but that makes all the more, you know, breathtaking the scene um, the, in the very last episode in which uh, Walt is talking to Schuyler about, you know, his uh, methamphetamine business. And um, Schuyler, having heard this line many times, is afraid that Walt is going to say, I did it for the family. Um, so this scene is clearly repeating. These mm-hmm. scenes are, you know, you've been set up for this uh, from earlier episodes, but then Walt just comes clean and says, no, I did it for myself. I liked it. Mm. I was good at it. And it made me alive. Uh, all of those are really crucial elements. I think especially the last one is crucial in terms of mm. the viewer's engagement with Walt as a character. Vince Gilligan frequently spoke about the fact that viewers, you know, loved Walt and he was appealed by that. He he didn't intend that. And they hated Skyler. And they didn't viewers like Skyler, but yeah. they loved Walt. But right. I think one of the reasons they loved Walt is that, you know, he spoke to a again a problem that's common we might want to say to the modern person, something that Walker Percy wrote about at great length and that is uh, the tedium of everydayness of uh, mm-hmm. life uh, you know, losing meaning of uh, simply going through the motions. What is it that, you know, makes my life a true life? Not simply a kind of biological breathing in, breathing out, you know, eating meals, watching TV and going to bed. Uh, we all want life to be more than that. Uh, but I think what you see in the show when uh, Walt was a high school teacher, that's all it was. He was engaged in a vocation that was well beneath his abilities um, nothing about, you know, his everyday life put any spark or, you know, jump in his step. But becoming a drug kingpin, you know, being excelling at it, having people fear him, respect him, that, you know, that gave him a reason to wake up in the morning. Mm. And I think people in their, you know, affection for Walt, you know, identified with that. Everyone would like to have a reason to wake up in the morning rather than simply the alarm clock or, you know, biology, you know, yeah. your body saying you've had enough sleep now. So I think that was that was crucial. And so by the end of the show, yes, the love for chemistry is there, but I mean, the love for chemistry is also that thing that puts the bounce in his step. Um, but in, in essence, then this, you know, uh, becoming the drug kingpin, the kind of a uh, uh, big man on campus, as it were, um, becomes, you know, ultimately what he's married to. And I mm. think that's what we see at the end of the show with the songs, both Felina um, and the song that ends as we watch him caressing his, uh, you know, chemistry equipment. 
that's truly, you know, his marriage. He's, you know, made his relationship with Schuyler a kind of second order affair. It's not that he despises her um, and he's actually making arrangements at the end to provide for their son. And if he could provide for her, I'm sure he would. It's not, it's not like he's a complete, he's not the devil by any (laughs) means, but uh, what makes him devilish, we might want to say a lower class D is that he was willing to sell Schuyler down the river Mm. as it were for a love that was much more, you know, meaningful to him. And uh, that's why, you know, you, when you see where he is at the end of the whole sequence, that's when you, if you go back and watch that episode that we began with of the chemistry lesson with uh, Gretchen, his former girlfriend, uh, and when he leans over the chair and says to her, um, we're just talking about chemistry here, uh, your view of the scene is completely different. And mm. first, when you watch that scene first time through, Chemistry means we're not thinking about, you know, any kind of soul or anything, you know, comprising the human person other than material matter. Uh, But by the end of the series, you realize, well, chemistry actually for him is, you know, a kind of uh, orientation in life, right? A uh, meaning giver, something that he is willing to, you know, uh, uh, basically value higher. Uh, than the relationship with his wife. So it's really, it's quite incredible. Mm. So you first see that and chemistry means, oh, he really, you know, it's this love affair with the woman, but actually by the end, no, it's the reverse. It actually is the chemistry that replaces the woman. So it's an incredible scene. And I've always wondered as I've watched that again, did, did Gilligan intend this when they began the show? I have a hard time imagining that's the case, but it's an incredible double meaning yeah. uh, that works beautifully. What you love becomes the question of what gives you life. And then you see in the end with Walter, what comes of that life yeah. that he's chosen. Right. Mm. Exactly. Very fine. Well, Gary, this has been just a fantastic conversation. We can go on and on, but uh, I'll let you off the hook here. Thank you so much for uh, these incredible insights on science, marriage, money, and Breaking Bad. Thanks very much. Thank you for having the opportunity to speak to you. And thanks to all of you, as always, for joining us on Church Life Today. This has been a production of OSV Podcasts. To learn more, visit osvpodcasts.com.